they shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein, to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing, and I make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. And all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him. And they took the city. Let us pray. Eternal Father, we just thank and praise you again for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the redemption and our salvation that is found in him by the shedding of his precious blood when he died on Calvary's tree. We thank you, Lord, that you have cleansed, that you have forgiven, and Lord, you've made righteous those who have come to saving faith and knowledge in him. We pray, Father, that you would still continue to speak and to save, Lord, and to restore the backslidden, to strengthen your people, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts and speak to their lives and into their minds and into situations that they find themselves in. But, oh, that thy spirit would move and deal with every single heart. To that end, Lord, we tell you that we worship you and that we adore you. We love you. And there's none like you. We pray, Father, in Jesus' name now that you would help my clay lips. And Lord, that you would bring all things to my remembrance. And oh God, that you would, Lord, help me to rightly divide this word of truth, that you would be exalted and that Christ alone would be seen. Glorify your name. For Jesus' sake, I ask it. Amen. If you remember in part one, but just in case you haven't, uh, heard or watched part one or you didn't see it part one was when Joshua we showed was a type of Christ Joshua uh, his name is really the Hebrew form of Yeshua or Yeshua or Jesus or English rendering and we see here how Joshua uh, he also his name also means Yah saves or Jehovah saves and the name of Jesus is exactly the same, Jehovah saves, or salvation of Jehovah, salvation of Yah. And so we have looked at how Joshua was also in type, a type of Christ when he went and he stayed at the tabernacle as a young man. He wouldn't leave even when Moses left because he wanted that touch from God and to know the things more of the Lord. And we looked at that in part one. And of course, the Lord Jesus, when he was 12 years of age, was found in the temple when he went missing for those three days and Mary and Joseph found him there. We looked at other things at how Joshua was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we want to look at tonight is Joshua and the defeat of Jericho and the book of Revelation. Now you might say, how on earth does that work? Well, it's, there's types in this story that we have read of this, this narrative of Joshua chapter 6. There's types that are found not only in the book of Revelation, but are found in the historist interpretation of Revelation. And there's types found in it. We're going to look at it tonight. And the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is likened unto when Joshua would then enter into Jericho and the falling off the walls. But Joshua came to a Canaanite people and Joshua was coming to judge and to defeat. And that's the same when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. We're going to look at that again this evening. So in Joshua 6, verses 1 to 5, there are six principles to start us off. Six principles of Christian life. Six principles of Christian faith. So I noticed this before we just briefly go through these. Faith must be tested before the victory is to be appreciated. I'm going to say it again for you. Your faith and my faith, the faith of these Israelites here, faith must be tested 
before the victory is to be appreciated. And the faith of Israel was tested according to what God had said before the victory could be appreciated when the walls of Jericho fell down. Faith in God, in his word, is paramount to victory. I'm going to say it again for you. Faith in God, in God's word, is paramount to victory. Puritan Joseph Hall once wrote, How can I depend on him for raising my body from the dust and saving my soul at last if I distrust him for a crust of bread towards my preservation? In other words, it's easy to trust God when we think it's all in the future. It's easy to bring theology and place it into the future and trust God for it. Oh, we trust him when he comes back, there'll be a resurrection. We trust him when he comes back, there'll be glorification. We trust him when he comes back, we'll rule and reign with him. But what about now? What about today? Faith must be tried before we appreciate the victory. And the word of God must be trusted before we can claim that victory. Briefly and quickly, here are six principles of faith for the now. Six principles of faith. First of all, there is the intelligence of faith. The intelligence of faith. Faith in Israel put God at the center. In other words, the, 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 the tabernacle would be at the center in the wilderness. The center of the encampment of Israel. Three tribes in the north, three to the south, three to the east, and three to the west. So Christ came, or God came in the tabernacle in the middle of the nation. I wonder when I think of, and I prayed this just yesterday. I prayed it again this morning, and I was thinking about it, and I said, Lord... What if our government was to proclaim and put Christ and his gospel, God and his word at the center of our nation, like Israel of old did when they placed him in the center of the nation? What if Her Majesty the Queen, I prayed this last night, or yesterday, and I prayed it again this morning, I says, what about if the Queen was to, was to be more vocal and to proclaim her faith in Christ, in God's word, and in Christ alone, and not in her speeches to be mentioning all faiths, but the reformed faith in which she was coronated into. What a difference. What a difference I believe it would happen. The intelligence of faith for a life, the intelligence of faith in a heart, in a family, in a marriage, and whatever else is to put Christ at the center, that God is at the center of everything, of our national life, of our personal life, of our home life, of our individual life, and our church life, the assembly life. Secondly, the principle of faith is the obedience of faith, the obedience of faith. Israel in their intelligence they obeyed God's word, put the Ark of the Covenant and carried it on the priest's shoulders around Jericho until the walls fell. And the obedience was that they observed everything that God had said. They done it, everything to a jot and a tittle, as it were, as God had commanded. It wasn't God plus. It wasn't God and attitude. It wasn't man's ideology or philosophy. It was exactly as God had said it. Obedience is exactly as God has told us. Obedience to how God has told us. And salvation, redemption is like that. It's not your denomination and anything else that can save you, but it is coming to the cross. And he says, if you come to, by the way of the cross, pleading the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's obedience. Obedience is coming by how he has ordained you and I to be saved and to be redeemed. Obedience is walking before the Lord. Obedience is doing the will of God. And obedience is also one of the principles of faith. Israel went in obedience. 
Thirdly, there's the exercise of faith. They marched for seven days. It wasn't just, it must have been some march right around the city for six times, once a day for six days, and then seven times for the seventh day. Must have been exhausting. But nevertheless, they were marching without doing anything, trusting in the word of God. Just as God said, they obeyed. And the exercise was, then I trust you for what you're saying, God. You must exercise your faith in the sense we must trust God for what he says. Trust God that we're redeemed. Trust God that we're saved. And that seems to be so easy for us Christians, but it's trusting God for what he says. Then there is the folly, the folly of our faith. Israel looked foolish when they walked around Jericho's walls. What on earth are these fools doing? The Canaanites, can you see them getting ready for battle? Nobody went in, it says in verse 1, and nobody came out. In other words, they'd shut the gates, impregnable walls. Israel are walking around, as it were, just marching around. Once a day for six days, seven times on the seventh day. And as they did, the Canaanites are laughing at them. You know, friend, I want to tell you, there's many Canaanites are laughing at us. There's many Canaanites who have think that they're ruling the world and they're doing their own bit. And they think that they have got the victory and the glory over us. But I can tell you, you and I, they may say it's a folly of their faith. But I can tell you now, it's not a folly of our faith. We may look foolish, but we're fools for Christ. And because we're fools for Christ, we will have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then fifthly, there's the patience, the patience of faith. They didn't react. They didn't react because they couldn't react. In other words, I'm sure we're not told, but I'm sure that the Canaanites were cheering them on or shouting at them or cursing at them or swearing at them or or trying to cause them to lose heart in what they were doing, trying to cause them to lose faith in what God had said. And they're looking and saying, "These, these Israelites are idiots. These Israelites are stupid and they must have been shouting, I'm sure, and, and, and being puffed up to, against Israel. But I can tell you, friend, they done what God had said and they didn't react. God says, don't you do anything. They couldn't react because God told them what to do. They needed patience. And you and I need to go how God says and be patient unto the coming of the Lord. Be patient for what God has said. Be patient, for he said he's coming again. The Christ will rend the skies, and they'll roll back like a scroll, and he will return in great power and glory. Sixthly and quickly, there's the victory of faith. There's the victory of faith. Eventually, Israel saw the walls of Jericho falling without them putting a hand to knock down one brick. Without them having to ram a gate, without them having to climb a ladder or scale a wall, God brought down the devil's walls. God brought down the Canaanites' gates and Israel had the victory. We sing the hymn here, Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Notice here the type of the second coming then. Joshua is a type of Christ. So there's Joshua coming to Jericho. There's Jesus, and he comes to the ungodly. Let me just read a verse for you. A little verse out of the book of the epistle of Jude. And it says in verse 14, And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh, with ten thousands of his saints, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. The word here that God would convince the ungodly among them isn't to convince them toward him, but it is the idea of he will show them their sin 
and why he is just and righteous in his judgment. So Jesus on the ungodly is Joshua and Jericho. God versus Satan. The seed of God and the seed of Satan. God versus Satan. The priests of Israel were to compass Jericho once every six days. Once every six days. Six in the scripture is the number of man. Man fallen. Man unable to save himself. They encompassed the city for six days. Seven priests with seven trumpets of ram's horns. Seven shofars as they're known as. And here they compass for six days once a day. Notice here in Psalm 90 and verse 4. It says, For a thousand years in thy sight are but yesterday, and as a watch in the night. In other words, the psalmist is saying, One day is like a thousand years. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. The apostle says, Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Notice, so one day, as they marched around, would be like a thousand years. Now let's take it, a thousand years, six times they march around that wall. Six times they march around Jericho. And that's six thousand years. From our Father, our God, our Father, from he created our father Adam in the garden. We take 6,000 years. 6,000 years brings us up to around the time we're living in now. Around this moment we're living in. Six millenniums have passed and we're waiting for the seventh day. For the seventh day, they marched around it seven times. Seven is the number of completion and perfection. And notice this. We're here. We have marched in this fleshly, worldly state. We have marched around, as it were, with Canaanite or the ungodly, uh, the seed of Satan, as it were, the un unbeliever who have persecuted God's people Israel who have persecuted us from the church age right through until this moment and we are patiently looking and waiting for the seventh millennium to come which is at the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The seventh day they marched around it seven times. The perfect kingdom reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice here seven priests with seven trumpets, seven days, seven times. Notice seven priests. It's a type of the ecclesia. That is the church, the called out ones. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says, Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood and holy nation. We're a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So notice here, the seven priests were to march. And brothers and sisters, the ecclesia is the priesthood of the Lord. And we are to keep marching this day around, as it were, our Jericho until our great Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes again and rules and reigns. Listen to Revelation chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says of our Lord Jesus Christ, He hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him. I think that is tremendous, that every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. 
Notice he's coming. Christ is coming. We see what's happening in the news. We see what's happening all around us. We see of all the things that are going on in our world. And Christ is coming again. Notice here, we want to look at this number seven. Seven priests. Seven horns or trumpets of the ram. With seven days encircling the city seven times. Do you know in Revelation, in the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ, that is, there are seven churches that are mentioned in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Seven churches that are mentioned starts with the, the church of Ephesus and it finishes with the church of the Laodiceans or the church of Laodicea. And here they are. They are the church of Ephesus and these are rough figures. Church of Ephesus from chapter 2 verses 1 to 7. And it's said that these churches, all of these churches were literal churches in Asia Minor. Right where Turkey is in, in that area. And they were seven literal churches picked out by the risen Christ and given these seven letters were handed, as it were, to John to take to the seven churches in Asia. These were seven literal churches. What, what happened in each church can happen in a church assembly today and it can help us govern and know what to do and bring application words from it. We believe that there's also from the seven churches, they are also fitting of the church of Jesus Christ the whole way through up until this very moment looking for the coming of the Lord. So Revelation 2 verses 1 to 7, the church of Ephesus. And it's roughly from AD 56 to AD 96 or maybe just before it. And then there's the second church age which will be found in chapter 2 verses 8 to 11 from 100 AD roughly to 313 AD. They they cross over a little bit about that. And this is the church age when we had right from the early church right through this church age to the to the uh, pagan Roman emperors from Nero, all right, the whole way through, we go through all of this age until the very uh, finish of, well, Diocletian was the last um, emperor that was really hard against the church. And then there is Constantine who made a profession of salvation. Then there's Revelation 2, verses 12 to 17, which would take us from uh, 313 AD to about 606 AD. And, and that was the church of Pergamos. And then there's the church of Thyatira, which is second Re- Revelation 2, verses 9, 18 to 29. And it would take us in time scale from about 606 AD to 1517 AD. And what you're finding here is we have Nero, and we have about 10 Roman emperors that the church would go through, right through to Diocletian. Then Constantine makes a profession of faith. But what Constantine does, he stops the persecution for the church, which was fantastic, which was great because they were being cast to lands. They were, they were being covered in tar and, and, and tied to posts and used to, to light up the Colosseums and the palaces of Nero and other uh, Caesars of the pagan Roman Empire. But what also happened was at this time, Constantine, to please the pagan Romans, started to bring paganism into what he thought was the church. Now, the early church of the book of Romans is not this church. But he started to mingle paganism with what they call Christianity. And from there, we had the papal Roman system come out at the end of the pagan Roman empire. Notice 517 is believed to be the church of Thyatira. And that political end as well as the, the ecclesiastical time brings us to the time of the Protestant Reformation. Brings us to the time when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral in 1517. And then, uh, fifthly, we have in Revelation 3, verses 1 to 6, from about 1517 to 1739, thereabouts, we have the church age of Sardis. Sardis. And then we have, in sixthly, in chapter 3, verses 7 to 13, 
from approximately 1739 to around 1850, we have the Church of Philadelphia. And then from then until now, until the coming, we have the Laodicean Church, the lukewarm church, the church that makes Jesus want to spew us out of his mouth. And notice this here, the, 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 the seven churches, the seven times across the church, they are mentioned in the book of Revelation when John sees the Lord Jesus glorified and he sees him walking through seven golden candlesticks. Just like there was a golden candlestick in the tabernacle in the wilderness in the middle of Israel. And notice here, for example, if you will, in Revelation, pardon me, Leviticus chapter 24 and verse 2. It says, Command the children of Israel that they bring unto thee pure oil, olive, beaten for the light, to cause the lamps to burn continually. Verse 4. He shall order the lamps upon pure candlestick before the Lord continually. Here the Lord shows John the vision of seven, with them walking through the seven golden candlesticks, and we're told the seven golden candlesticks are the seven churches of Asia Minor. Now then we have the seven churches of Asia Minor representing seven church, if we can call it, ages or even dispensation right up until this moment. So here they are in a nutshell. The first church, the church of Ephesus, and the last church before the coming of the Lord is the Laodicean church. The first church of Ephesus and the seventh church, they are in grave danger. I take it in grave danger. The first church has left their first love. I have somewhat against thee, says the Lord Jesus Christ, to the early church, because thou hast left thy first love. And what does he say to the church of Revelation, or pardon me, of, of Laodicean church, at the end time church? He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and will open the door, I will come in with him and sup with him and he with me. Why is it in grave danger? Because they have put the Lord out of the church for everything else. That's the church we're living in. The church of Ephesus at the beginning was a church that fell out of love with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was no longer their first love. And the last church, the church of the Laodiceans, well, this church, this church is in grave danger because they love themselves and Christ is put out. Listen to what Paul says of the last days in 2 Timothy chapter 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, traitor, pardon me, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of thereof from such turn away. And many are denying the power of the Spirit. Many are denying the work of the Spirit in the heart. Many are denying the miraculous power of the Holy Ghost. And here Christ is outside the last church. Notice churches 1, 2, pardon me, 2, 3, and 4. They are all differing. They're going through persecution of Rome. And then comes the reformers, still persecution is there. And God says to those churches, he, doesn't, he commends them and doesn't condemn them. And then it comes to the church of Philadelphia. And that was the church of brotherly love. That was the church that sent forth the missionaries in the 17, late 17 and the 1800s. That's the church that started up the, the Bible societies. And that's the church that, that, that started like of the orphans under Dr. Bernardo and Elizabeth Fry and prison reform and all of those things. And here was a church alive in God. Here was a church that was in labor and work for God. And here was a church in the nation 
that kept Christ at the center. Think especially of times with great preachers uh, like in the 1800s, like Charles Haddon Spurgeon, like George Whitfield a little earlier, and we had uh, John Wesley, and we had uh, people of that sort of caliber uh, and that sort of movement of the Holy Ghost. Notice here, notice again, Pergamos' Thyatira, and a little horn that Daniel speaks of in Daniel 7 and 8 comes out of the ten horns. His little horn comes up with eyes like a man speaking great things. And that's the papal system that comes out. And of course we had the Reformation. Then brotherly love came out. And then our church is now conformed to the world. And the Laodicean church makes Jesus sick. But listen to what Revelation 10, chapter 10 and verse 7 says. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel. Notice the seventh angel. When he began to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. What is the mystery of God that was finished in Revelation 10 at the seventh angel? Notice seven again. What is the mystery of God that was finished? The little book is mentioned. There was a little book open in Revelation chapter 10. The little book open was at the time of the church of Thyatira whenever the Bible was printed. It was taken from, it used to be chained to the pulpit and written in Latin that no one was able nor allowed nor even encouraged at the slightest to read the word of God except for the Roman Catholic priests. It was taken by, at the time of Reformation, it was printed and it was put into the hands of many people. This is the little book open of Revelation chapter 10 that was prophesied the mystery of God is revealed. This is the mystery of God. People wondering about the things of God is found in the word of God. Moving quickly. Then we have as well seven priests in Joshua chapter 6 walking around the city. Notice seven priests. They blow the trumpet on the seventh day. They march around seven times and they blow the trumpet seven times. Notice what it says in Revelation, the book of Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. And if you let your eye run down, while you're looking that up, I'm going to get another drink. Revelation chapter 11. Let your eye run down, please. The verse 15. And the seventh angel, notice, and the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Notice this. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God in their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and the wrath and thy wrath has come, and the time of the dead that thou should be judged, that they should be judged. And that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was open in heaven, and there was seen in this temple the ark of his testament, and there the lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake on the great hill. Here we're finding at the seventh angel sounding. The seventh angel sounding, heaven is as it were in an uproar, praising and worshiping the Lord. It says, there's great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our God or of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And in verse 19, in the temple in heaven, as it were, in other words, in the presence of God, there was the ark of his testimony. The ark of the covenant was to be marched around the walls of Jericho once every day. And seven times it was to be marched around on the seventh day. Here is a type 
of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming in power. He's not coming to bless. He's not coming to help. He's not coming to save the world. He's coming for his people. And he's coming in power and great glory. And he's coming with a rod of iron. He's coming in flames of fire to take vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice again in Revelation chapter 16. In Revelation chapter 16, we have a number seven, a seventh angel yet again. And it says, Revelation 16, And verse 17. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven. From the throne saying, it is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away. And the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. Every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God. Notice, even at this they blasphemed God because of the plague. Of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. Notice here, brothers and sisters, the seventh angel poured out his vial. There's seven vials, there's seven trumpets, and then there's three woes, and then there's seven vials, and we're at the seventh angel's vials. Now, at the very end, the complete and perfection, right through the history, right through Revelation 9 speaks of Islamic uprising. And we're seeing it coming again. Here in Revelation 10, speaks of the Reformation. And it brings us right through to Revelation chapter 16. The sixth angel pours out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. And because he pours out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, we find that the, uh, the Turkish Ottoman Empire dried up in, uh, in the late 1800s and around 1924-26 the, the, the sultan of Turkey was, uh, was disbanded and he was kicked off his throne. That Ottoman Empire that, that, that populated the whole way right down through uh, that great river Euphrates. It dried up as it were. And then of course, 1917, Allenby went into Jerusalem through the Jaffa Gate. And there was, uh, the Balfour Declaration was put in place. The Bolshevik Revolution started in 1917. There are godless, communist, atheistic uh, men uh, gathered together and they slew millions of Christians. And then, of course, we had the visions of Fatima in Portugal gathering thousands upon thousands of people onto a false vision. Their poor souls being led uh, astray and then told to go and consecrate Russia onto the heart of Mary. All of this happening in Revelation 16, by the sixth, pardon me, the sixth file, now is the seventh file. And this is when the Lord is returning in power and glory. This is when there's Armageddon. This is when the, where we are at at the moment coming up to. In fact, in Revelation 16, the great Euphrates rivers dried up that Ottoman Empire. And then it makes way, it prepares the way for the kings of the east. We see what's happening with China. China has been gearing up. All last century, it's been coming a superpower. And now this whole coronavirus and Wuhan, and I believe it's been, been a, a biologically chemical warfare that has been released under the air. And that's for another thing for another time. But here China has put more into their defense systems and into their military might. And they're buying up all the bonds and stocks and shares while our, our, our markets are crashing down around us. And it's to try and, and overcome the West. It's preparing the way for the kings of the east. And there's going to come, Armageddon as it's called, a third world war. But the wonderful thing about it is, the king is coming. Jesus is coming back again. 
The seventh angel in Revelation 16 and verse 17 poured out his vial into the air and there came a great voice out of heaven, of the temple of heaven from the throne. Notice the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The it is done is the exact same terminology as the Lord Jesus cried on the cross of Calvary. It is finished. There's nothing left to add for our redemption, for our kinsman, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. He hath paid it all in full. The fullness of our debt has been found. The ransom was paid and we are redeemed, redeemed unto God. And notice here, it is done as the same. Friends, you can't add anything to your salvation. You must accept all Christ has done. And notice it is done here is the exact same end of story. It's been poured out. The vials are over. There's no more trumpet blast, but when Christ returns, and we're going to look at that in another moment. Notice here, Revelation 16, the vials poured out. And what happens? The great city is divided into three parts of Babylon. Babylon is not just that city that was in the Middle East there. It's not even just the try and rebuild of Saddam Hussein. Babylon is the worldwide system. It's ecclesiastical system. It's, a, it's an economic system. And of course, we find it in a governmental system. And here, the city is in three parts, and it comes down. Babylon is falling. You know what's going to happen soon? We see the European Union now, and it's it's, a, it's on its knees and we see the world uh, monetary use, debt usury system that God even said to Israel that it was, uh, it was not to happen, that uh, exorbitant uh, uh, interest rates and so on that we have been living under, that we have been enslaved to all these years. Babylon the Great is falling. It's coming down. It's going to crash. They're going to try and revive another Roman Empire, but it's not going to happen because Jesus is going to come and he's going to destroy the whole lot of it. Oh, it's great to be saved. Are you saved? Are you ready? Are you waiting? Are you watching? Are you praying? For Christ is coming. You imagine these Canaanites on the wall, the Canaanites of today, don't expect this. They're on their wall making fun of us. They're on their wall and they can do all the, all the things that they do and reject all the things of the gospel and they can laugh at you and scorn at you and call you a fool and an idiot and all of these things and me too. But I can tell you, friend, the Canaanites of the day may be standing high on their wall and shouting down to us as it were, but I'll tell you, their walls are crumbling. Their walls will fall because Christ is returning and he's going to march in. And he's going to march in in glory. He's going to split the skies. The skies will go back like a scroll. And we're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Joshua 2 and verse 5 says, And it shall come to pass that when you make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you shall hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall. Notice here, Notice here what it says. All the city shall fall. That's what happened. We must trust the word of God. For in Joshua 6, notice what it says here in Joshua 6 in verse 20. So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout. Brothers and sisters, it's start to have our voice proclaimed here. It's start to lift our voice and praise the Lord. It's time for the church to start to put the trumpet to their mouth and blow an alarm in all the city of Zion. It's time to let the people know that Christ is coming and that he's coming soon. Notice, and the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. There's one other thing to look at here. Verse 19 mentions metals. All the silver, the gold, and the vessels of brass and iron were consecrated unto the Lord. In other words, God took them as a spoil. God took them as a spoil. In Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon seen the head of gold, and the arms and the chest, the breast of 
silver, the Medo-Persian kingdom. He's seen the, the belly of bronze, the Greece and under Alexander, uh, his kingdom. Then he's seen the legs of iron, the, the pagan Roman kingdom, then the toes of iron and of clay, which we showed you the little horn carrying the, 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 from the pagan Rome right through into the papal Rome, right through into today where the ten toes were of the European Union. And here we're seeing that Christ's kingdom, the great stone cut out without hands, the great stone is the, the eternal kingdom of Christ is coming to smash, to smash the image, to smash the idolatry, to smash the usury system, the debt usury system that we're enslaved and in bondage under. And he is coming again. We are to shout with a great shout. So I finish, I finish with this last scripture. Thank you for your attention tonight. I trust uh, that you've enjoyed God's word. I trust that it's touched you, challenged you. If we can go to 1 Thessalonians, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Notice this. So the priest went round and the priest shouted. There's other things. Time has evaded me just to go on any further with this. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. <clears throat> just let your eye run down if you will, please. To verse 13. Paul writes, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. In other words, they've died in Christ. That you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Notice, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. Notice with a shout. What did God tell Joshua to tell the people to do? He says, tell them to shout. Coming with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. Blow the trumpet, he says, and shout, for victory is yours. And the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This is comforting to me to know that no matter what's going on in this world, no matter what happens, that we are on the winning team. We've read the back of the book. Jesus has won, and he's coming again, and he's coming for his bride. Notice, the Lord will come. When Israel sounded the last trumpet blast, when the people shouted in victory and faith, the walls were still standing until this. The walls were still standing until this. When they did this, the walls fell. Notice Babylon falls. Jericho was defeated. And brothers and sisters, the New World Order, the banking cartels, the one world government, the elitists of the world, they, the Canaanites, as it were, will fall. They will be spoiled. They will be defeated. For the walls fell and only Rahab's house, which was on the wall, stood. And the only thing that caused them to stand was a scarlet cord. A red thread. So simple. But that's the gospel, friend, that Christ, his blood is the scarlet cord. His blood is the red thread. And he's the one, his blood is what enables you, enables you to be able to stand on that day, that you'll not fall with the rest of them, but rather you'll see the scarlet cord, the red thread of the blood of Christ that you've trusted in. And that you who are redeemed by the blood, you who are saved, you will be in the army of the saints. Joshua marched in in victory to Jericho. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to march in the eastern gate in victory over every Christ rejecter.
And he's going to set up his kingdom in its fullness, not only in its spirit now, in its fullness. And we will rule and reign with him on the earth. Are you ready? Are you saved? Are you redeemed by the blood? Are you trusting in Christ alone? For there is your salvation and none other. I trust this has been maybe enlightenment, a blessing, an encouragement, maybe a conviction to you. And you'll turn to the Lord in freshness and in newness to go on to follow him. Thank you for your attention and for listening, for coming on this evening. God bless you. Well, thank you again for your videos. Thank you for all that's happened today. Even though we we'll prefer everyone to be together, it's been great to see your videos and to have you come on with us on our third year anniversary this evening. We're going to play out in a moment with a CET favorite. We love to praise the Lord and sing and shout at this one. And so, you know, let's put the trumpet to our mouths. Let's sound an alarm on all this holy mountain that the king is coming. Let us pray first. Father, take your word of pray and inscribe it on every heart and imprint it upon every mind. We pray, O oh God, you speak to us severally as you will and speak to our government, to our monarchy. Speak to our nation. Speak, Lord. And I pray, O oh God, you turn us back to thee again. Turn this people Turn our hearts back to our fathers and the fathers of their children. Father, even as your word tells us, we pray for salvation and redemption to come to homes and to lives and to families. And Lord, that you'd change lives for the good. But Lord, you'd save lives, save souls for eternity. Glorify your name in all of this. For Jesus' sake, I ask it. Amen. God bless you all. Worship as we close this third anniversary with us with a fantastic song, one of our favorites.